What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? It's been a while since I've done this, but welcome to the latest edition of the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast on the Believe Network with your host, Shuki Wrights. A lot of changes, a lot of things have happened since I did an episode last, especially on video, but this is a special return to the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast because we're not talking Boston sports, we're talking hockey, and joining me on this episode is two of the most recognizable voices in hockey, both of whom are, um, are, are are people of color. Erica Ayala, who is, she's an absolute stud. She's the founder of Black Rosie Media. Also, she's the first Black Latina um, PHF uh, broadcaster, does work on covering the WNBA and the NHL for CBS Sports. Erica, how are you doing? Talk to me. How are you doing today? On this <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you so much for for having me on. I know we exchanged just a, a little bit here and there this yeah. uh, season. Like we got we got to collab a little bit more. So yeah. um, I'm thrilled to be here with both of y'all. I've been following your work, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, women's hockey uh, has changed a little bit, a little uh, bit since we uh, yeah. <laughs> since we put this together. Um, but you know, just uh, really excited for for what the future holds for women's hockey. It's uncomfortable right now, but um, I'm looking forward to to continuing to do that in whatever fashion uh, is afforded to me. And uh, you know, v- was able to do a little bit of play by play for Hockey East last year, so hoping to do a little bit more of that. Well- while still covering the Seattle Kraken, I was saying you, you caught me on a on a podcast uh, recording day, so I'm all Seattle <laughs> out right now. <laughs> wow. Oh, perfect timing! My goodness, like I'm talking, like listen, like it may be like essentially mid July, but hockey season is still ongoing. Oh, although it's kind of hit that dead point, um, in a way. But speaking of more hockey, um, not to be forgotten or or, or anything like that. Julian McKenzie, who covers um who covers Calgary sports for the athletic. Um, he's he's done like terrific work, you know, covering the, the Calgary Flames uh, and whatnot. Am I correct on that part? Yes, yeah. well. Yeah, so yeah. I just want to make sure I didn't forget that. And not to be forgotten about the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. Shout out to them because they just followed me recently out of nowhere. So <laughs> thank you. Salute to you guys and the fantastic hockey content you guys do over there as well so julian what's going on man like it's july and you're you're all wrapped up in cfl coverage right now what's going on i wish i was i wish i was part of that beat i know a lot of people ask me you know hey man you should are you able to cover stamps uh i know the uh yeah i thought it kind of went away from doing cfl stuff a couple years ago um in fact i like i've like still a couple months into being uh uh in calgary so like i haven't been to like stampeders games but like the last few days there's been like the actual like calgary stampede like the whole festival and it's just been really funny to see like sports media people who should be like going to like flames development camp and then you see them at like the stampede grounds like getting lit with like 
people. It's yeah. just been really funny to see these last few days. But uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to see the Flames. Uh, a lot of people thought they'd be a little bit uh, in a really weird spot, considering that they've got a bunch of pending UFAs for next season. Uh, and it's just been really quiet. Like no one expected them to get any real free agents out of the market, but there's nothing so far on Elias Lindholm's future or Michael Backlund's future or Noah Hannafin's future. That's a, that's a player who reports have suggested he wants to continue his career in the United States, but all those guys remain on the roster. And there's a reality where maybe the flames start next season with those guys on the roster. And I'm not sure the flames wanted to be in that position. So very quiet right now in early July, but maybe the possibility something gets moved or someone gets moved within the next few weeks. We'll have to wait and see on that. Absolutely. And I mean, it already had been a crazy July 1st uh, NHL free agency opener where it basically resembled of massive crowds, you know, forming outside of stores on Black Friday, right after you just got done being grateful for what you have and you and you're ready to rush into stores and stampede whoever's in front of you to get your hand on the next shiny thing like, oh, I got to have this. Oh, I got to have that player. I got to have this player. But what do I know? I mean, after all, on here we are recording on July 9th with the episode being ready to ready to be fired up and going for on July 10th. We're now about 10 days into July, and it's been an eventful 10 days. And I actually am glad that that Erica um, alluded to it at the beginning in the opening because there's been a massive uproar in women's hockey and the future of women's hockey where you know a lot of a lot of players and, and the voices are not happy about the about the the emergence um, and as well as like everything that's that's gone on. So Erica, I want to give you the opportunity to take like not only take the floor but as well as explain furthermore for those who do may not understand what's happening. Like, why is this such a huge deal? Why is this such a problem for um for the future of, of PHF and, and as well as for women's hockey in general? Wow. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try to, you know, uh, do this Ant-Man style uh, and oh, get through yeah, it real quick. <laughs> but uh, OK, so I, I think first I'll take you back to 2015. In 2015, prior to the fall of 2015, what women's hockey looked like after the collegiate level, whether that's what we now know as U sports or NCAA yeah. players could play in a league called the Canadian Women's Hockey League or the CWHL, or if they wanted to p- play professionally and get paid because CWHL players were not paid, um, they would have to go to Europe, Switzerland, Sweden, uh, Russia, places like that. So in the fall of 2015, a brand new league started with four teams and it was called the National Women's Hockey League or the NWHL. And that was launched as the first women's professional ice hockey league that was going to pay players and it did and then we get to the next season boston actually won the first ever isabel cup uh they played in new jersey i was able to cover that game but then by about the halfway point of the second season of that league the nwhl they drastically cut salaries and at that time Olympians, especially from the United States who were playing in the CWHL, again, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, a lot of them, all of them actually, came over to the NWHL to get paid. And it was those same Olympians 
the mm-hmm. Hillary Knight, um, Brianna Decker, who just retired, Kendall Coyne Schofield. Well, she was just uh, Kendall Coyne. Um, actually, she was still in college, excuse me. But um, Megan Bozak, players like that were playing in those leagues. And they rightfully so, along with other people, were very upset about the salary cuts. And that created a little bit of a rift. We saw some of the NWHL players then return to the CWHL and um, and then the CWHL folds in 2019 right before these same Olympians, not just from North America, but throughout Europe, were getting ready for the Women's World Championships in Finland, which was super dramatic. We are not going to talk about that on this episode, but y'all should go check out that history. And so... In 2019, there was a player movement um, for the game to grow the game. And from that came the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. I think I got all the letters there, the PWHPA. And that from 2019 until this July, those two were operating. Um, The NWHL eventually became what you mentioned just a little while ago, the PHF or the premier hockey federation. It was able to get salaries up to, we were expecting the highest salary this coming season to be 150 K us dollars. So they had recovered from those season two salary cuts. There were expansions. The PWHPA in that time went to a barnstorming model. So kind of weekend showcases, a lot of the Olympians from North America, the U.S. and Canadian team were playing in this league, but they were really fighting for from more of a player centric role while the PHF was growing more, arguably, you would say, from a markets and sponsorship overall uh, investment portfolio. So. Flash forward to, uh, I guess it was Canada Day north of me and going into uh, 4th of July weekend, we start hearing news that the PHF, again, that was the former NWHL, was acquired by the Mark Walter Group. And Mark Walter Group also has um, mostly known for for their stake in the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Billie Jean King and her wife are involved and And they are board members that have been working with the PWHPA to ratify a collective bargaining agreement. This would be the first ever CBA women's pro hockey in in North America. So that was happening separately. Then the PHF is acquired by the same group that's working with the PWHPA on their collective bargaining agreement. The collective bargaining agreement was also ratified in that holiday weekend. So that's those are the facts. Now, what that has caused is, again, I mentioned 150K in the Premier Hockey Federation that was going to go to Daryl Watts, used to play in Boston, then went over uh, to the Midwest to, to play. But, um, you know, I, I think so players like Daryl Watts have had their contracts voided as we're speaking on Sunday. We just got the word as we expected, but also the staff members of those seven teams um, at least are not guaranteed a spot in the, in the league forthcoming. So while from 2015 to now, women's hockey players and a lot of people in the landscape have wanted one league. The way that we are now getting this one league, and it's not a merger, this is a complete acquisition and essentially for parts is is uh, effectively what we're hearing, um, 
it's caused a lot of uh, just a lot of upending and upheaval. There are European players who had their contracts voided, including the legendary Finnish goaltender Nora Ratu. Uh, there are players like Alina Mueller who are coming out of college that were expecting these contracts. Again, I mentioned Daryl Watts was to be the highest paid player in the league. That contract completely voided and we're starting all over once again. And again, I've interviewed a lot of people around this. There is definitely an agreement that one league is what people want, what players certainly want. But for the players and the staff members, the coaches impacted by the sudden closure of the PHF, there's definitely a grieving period. Not to mention that this new league that has not officially been named yet wants to start and drop the puck in January 2024, which means they have six months to get everything going. And again, they've sold, the PHF was sold for parts. We are not hearing that those franchises, that those team names, not even the locations will carry over. So that effectively gives this new group under the Mark Walter group six months to create teams, uh, to figure out how they're going to divvy out uh, talent as in players, whether they're going to do that through a draft or, or the like. They have to hire staff. They have to create literally a website. They don't have a website yet. Um, there's just so much to do. So it's a little bit of a frantic time right now in women's hockey. I do think that we'll find a nice landing place. I do think it's going to be a little bit rocky. Just the timeline really worries me. But if I had to summarize, <laughs> um, that's kind of what's happening in women's hockey. Of course, for me professionally, who I've been the longest tenured broadcaster of that league that ended as the Premier Hockey Federation started as the National Women's Hockey League. So we don't know what the future entails for us because another detail that has yet to be disclosed and is probably further down the list from the other things that I mentioned is, but how are fans going to be able to watch the games, whether in person or via broadcast? So both the PWHPA and the PHF last hockey season were on ESPN plus and ESPN two. So we would hope that some of that would maintain and it's not necessarily starting all over again. I've seen a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, you know, AB, BC News, uh, Twitch, uh, something called Cheddar, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. Uh, so hopefully we can see this new league with some of the names that they have backing it and financing it really get women's hockey at least to the place where it was when both leagues um, crowned a champion in March. Julian, I want to give you the opportunity to just to share your thoughts on um, on, on what has um, ha what is happening currently right now. Um, like Julian, um, go ahead and share your thoughts. Yeah, the only thing I could really say is that seeing the news break about uh, the PHF getting bought and and knowing that players and and personnel were learning at the same time as us in the media were that was pretty disheartening to see. No one wants that in any form of business, whether it's media companies when it comes to layoffs or anything like that. So to see players learn in real time that the PHF was starting to fold, uh, that's will not fold but just get bought and have have new suitors that was a little tough to see uh i'm very curious at how they are going to get this one league going in a matter of half a year that being said in terms of certain markets that could be involved i'm sure there are some certain infrastructures that could work in order to kind of at least get some kind of fast start going and at least the nhl in the past has said that they would like to support 
at least one league. So maybe this is the opportunity where if this one league is actually going to come to happen, uh, the NHL could get themselves involved and that could help accelerate the process. But at the same time, uh, I'll just add this. The women who play hockey, whether you watch them at the Olympics or whether you watch them through their time, the CWHL or the NWHL to, to the PHF, they deserve an infrastructure that is sound. They deserve an infrastructure that people will be able to to watch, something that is accessible and 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 ultimately something that highlights some of the best players in the world. So hopefully uh, this league kind of puts them on that pantheon, puts them on that podium that they deserve. But yeah, just it's just been such a hectic. It, it's I don't like the fact that the women's game and and hecticness and confusion just seem to be so synonymous and linked with each yeah. other every so often. Like you have to put up that that meme, like how many days uh, since <laughs> mischief or yeah. or or some kind of craziness has happened when it comes to women's hockey, and that's not mm-hmm. fair to some of the best players in Canada and the United States and other parts of Europe as well. I was I was actually shocked when I first uh, saw the news. I, I, because I, I was under the impression that, I mean, the, the, PA, the PHF coming back for another season, there was no sort of, like, warning that, oh, my God, that they may be in any sort of financial trouble at all. So when the news broke, I was like, okay, what will this mean, like, moving forward in terms of the players and the staff and how that will that will impact um, people? And I'm not even just talking in, solely in terms of business. I'm thinking these are, these are the lives of these women who – who have yeah. dedicated their heart and soul to the sport? How will it impact them? And and like and I'm sure they go. They ha- everybody have their own um like their their own like routine like for off season training, getting ready for the new season. You talking about starting up a new league in six months? And and I I think Erica, you put you you put it astutely. Like this is not an overnight thing. Like you you got to figure out TV rights, broadcasting rights. That's important. You got to figure out okay like the salaries of the players and so forth. And as well as like the coaching staff and, and like, man, it's just like so many like missing pieces that the, the thing that this heart that had me the most disheartened about it is did they really think this through in terms of just the severity and the impact that it would have on, like, on the players in which that now there's no guarantee that they'll even have a job when this league will start up. That, that as, as you mentioned in January of 2024, which is a, six months away. You are asking all of the questions that I have been asking yeah. since the news broke, including while I have spoken to Reagan Carey, who was the acting commissioner of the PHF at the time of its acquisition, as well as uh, Stan, um, uh, I always forget his last name, Castin, I believe. Uh, yeah. He's also involved mm-hmm. with the the Dodgers and uh, the Sparks, the Los Angeles Sparks of the WNBA. I've asked them, you know, particularly on the PHF side, were you in a financial position to move forward with the next season if this deal hadn't gone through? The PHF says yes. So the reports that there was some financial instability, at least from my reporting, I haven't been able to to find that. I I have been in women's hockey long enough to know that we might find out a little bit more in in the months to come. Um, But, you know, I also asked Stan Kasten, were you at the the 
the deadline? Like, was there a, a time, a period in time where it would have been too late to do this deal uh, and to acquire the PHF? And Stan said, we were dangerously close to that. And that seems very easy to believe. <laughs> I mean, and for and for a lot of people, to your point, I think it's probably beyond that. There were people who were relocating. There were people who were, um, you know, moving into houses or doing other things, be expecting in six months less really, right? Because the season wasn't going to start in January. The season was going to start in October. So you have to think this is not a six month timeline for that players who had contracts. They're learning about this about two, three months before they were expecting to report for training camp. Yeah. So, you know, that's if you think about it like that, that is a massive upheaval. Mm-hmm. And and again, they now are moving forward in the next six without knowing if they are going to have a contract, period. And from the reporting that we've seen and um, and from some documents that I've seen, no one is hitting that 150 uh, K USD, at least in this first season. It's looking like. It's a little bit strange how it's written, but there will be at least nine players that have to be at the minimum, which is about uh, which is thirty five thousand dollars. And then there's a a certain threshold, a a minimum number of players have to make 80K or more, which is Mm -hmm. a little bit of an I've never seen a contract quite worded that way. I guess it's kind of I'm more familiar with the WNBA as far as CBAs. And I guess it's kind of like a veteran minimum maximum, I guess, is what they're going for there. But um, yeah, there's just a lot we don't know. There's a lot that this group is going to have to get done. And in the meantime, like a lot of women's sports, there's a whole ecosystem of fans uh, and a culture that is created because if I'm being quite honest, women in all aspects of society, we're often um, on the outskirts. And so we create our own community. And so now there is a community that's lying in wait. We have no idea what's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And quite honestly, when you upend these types of communities, there's often a lot of criticism because we're used to, again, having to react to inequitable things that are done to us individually or as a collective. And so how this is going to move forward when there are already so many at minimum questions and for some red flags, it's just a very uneasy, uncomfortable time right now for the women's hockey community. But a lot of the players are choosing to focus on the positive. That is not to say that they are not put out by the news or very intimately affected. Even the PWHPA players who did not know that the PHF was being acquired, mind you, that was not anything that they had any knowledge of from my reporting and from other people's reporting, nor something that they were expecting in this timeline. So now they have to also some of those 95 or excuse me, 97 players who helped ratify the first ever collective bargaining agreement in women's professional hockey history some of those women card carrying members of the new uh, the, the new union might not have a a roster spot for what is expected to be six teams not finalized, not confirmed by Stan Caston when I spoke to him. Um, but if we're looking at six teams, there are seven in the PHF and another four in the PWHPA dream uh, gap barnstorming model. So we're already cutting rosters uh, spots. If 
we get six teams, which it, it's it's not going to be much more or less than six if it's not six. Um, so, again, a lot of questions, not a lot of answers right now. Jolene, anything you want to add to that before um, before I continue? Yeah, I think Eric has really got that summed up in the fact that there's just a lot of questions with regards to the future of this game. And I, I feel for fans in the fact that, you know, over these last few years, it's trying to figure out like where to watch or what league it is. Yeah. I can't help but feel that just adds to the more adds to the confusion with with regards to the women's game in terms of where to see these best players. And and again, I reiterate, just having that one infrastructure that's there will make things simpler. It's just the the timeline is obviously just very short for them to 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 figure that out. Absolutely, and as someone who who, who just last season for the first time, I had the privilege of. Of, of calling um college women's hockey um, for for, B, for BU Terriers on ESPN plus um like I I have I think because of that it gave me a newfound appreciation for the women's game and just and and, and having that understanding of just how hard they they, they, they dedicate themselves you know to, to train and get ready for the season and as well as like just all of the intricacies that we we're all we're all watch and follow hockey and cover the sport like there's a lot that goes that goes into it and in terms of preparation and and commitment and and so forth. So so for me for me the way that I look at it is is that this is um like this is a, a time where for 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 a game that that had just finally begun to gain traction where people were becoming increasingly aware of. Of, of, of like of some of the best um uh, women hockey players on um, you know in the world For, forget forget in the league in uh, in the world they, they were okay we know like who who these players are like where where we can watch it now it's like okay you almost return back to square one and it's like just if I had hair I'd pull my hair out of my head but I'm not a chia plant unfortunately so with that being with that being said um just want to give you a heads up on the pod there, there will be a quick part two so do not panic. I, I there is there is a timer because Zoom wants to be a, a a real a real a real a hole. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> that's that is um, that is Zoom for you right there. But this the spot the next topic I actually want to have an opportunity to, um, to touch on is something that angered me when it first came out, and I just needed to have some people to actually talk about this with. Mm-hmm. So the NHL decided that they were going to. Um, to announce the the players in, uh, inclusion coalition, yeah. And <laughs> as I'm sitting here talking about this now, you can see my reaction, Erica and, and Julian. I just, I just, I just want to just, just, just kind of like grab the, the throat of whoever's responsible for, but not wanting to work with the the Hockey Diversity Alliance, who was actually trying to get ahead of this. But it said that no, 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 no. We're gonna do our own thing and not and not give them the the financial backing of the NHL. I want to touch on this because it, it bothers me on a, on a number of levels. So when the news broke, this is back back around the fourth of July, and and like the, the next day, the Hockey Diverse Diversity Alliance that came out with um, with their own tweet, and I actually want to uh, just just quickly I'll go through um, just just part of the message they sent out because it was a lengthy one. This quote here, I thought it was it was really the most telling. It said, "Quote: Thus is a disappointment, but not a surprise that the NHL announced the formation of the Players Inclusion Coalition in partnership with the NHLPA." We asked, "How does this committee differ from the one the NHL announced in September of 2020 during the pandemic?" 
Per the NHL's official announcement, this new initiative seeks advanced equality and inclusion of the sport of hockey on and off the ice. Laudable on its face, laughable in full context of the work we have been doing for three years without the league's support. The NHL's Players Coalition mission statement does not echo the HDA's goals so much as cynically attempt to, to appropriate them. Unquote, unquote. I just, I was just amazed just how tone deaf the NHL could be when this diversity coalition came about during the pandemic. Dare I say, even even in the, during the, the, the the bubble back during um on COVID nineteen when the Stanley Cup playoffs were being held in the NHL bubbles of Toronto and Edmonton. Fast forward three years later, we're, we're now out of we're out of the pandemic, obviously, and and like and yet the work. That the, that the diversity coalition was doing just seemed to be undermined by the NHL by saying, you know what, we're going to do our own thing right in the aftermath when the league said we're not going to do do with the, the specialty jerseys or or like or anything like that for players during warmups during, during this upcoming NHL season. So I want to get your both of your thoughts. I'll, I'll just start with you, Al Julian, first. When you first saw the news break. Just, just a few short days ago. What were you, some of your earliest thoughts on the news and as well as your overall thoughts on, on what, what I think personally is it's a maddening move by the NHL, another tone-deaf move by a league that claims to care about inclusion and diversity? I think when you see over and over again that the league doesn't care that much about diversity and inclusion especially when it comes to persons of color yeah you get less mad and you're more exasperated and you just kind of shrug your shoulders at it and that's kind of how i took it because we've known the hda has existed for some time and has operated independently of of the league and we know within within its own confines compared to with involving some other players who have chosen not to involve themselves with the hda there's also been some consternation and confusion over there um so it was not a complete surprise for me to see that the league was starting its own players coalition but yeah like i also think the fact that this is starting up in light of specialty jerseys uh being discontinued was very weird I, I think while I while a lot of people have taken the opportunity to focus on one aspect of of the specialty jerseys, which is the Pride Nights, uh, it, it also like it, obviously those were a big deal from last season and ultimately led to why we're in the situation we're in now. But not many people are talking about the fact that because of those specialty jerseys being gone, there are so many other nights and so many other. Uh, diversity nights that are are eliminated or not eliminated, but opportunities that are more or less decreased as a result of this. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the league says that they want to do their own thing, while yes, I can understand that people want to give points to the league for trying to do something. At the same time, it's just I need to see something at this mm-hmm. point. That's how I see it. Uh, I'm I'm re- I'm reserving judgment on on anything the league does on that matter until I see concrete change. And I can understand that, you know, maybe they do not maybe, but they do have people like Ken Davis who are at least front facing they, It seems as if they're trying to do something, but in terms of actual tangible change, I'm always going to be that skeptical person when it comes to that, because I need to see something a lot more than just lip service at this point. And also the fact that the HDA and the league have their own thing that just creates a scenario where you're just going to see 
two sides be pitted against each other and constantly butting heads. And I don't think that serves anybody in terms of trying to grow the game and make it accessible for people like us. Erica, go ahead. Wow. So many thoughts. Uh, But coming off of our conversation about the landscape of women's professional ice hockey, I do want to just acknowledge that I have been supportive in theory of what the Hockey Diversity Alliance wanted to do, but I was also very critical as to why a group called the Hockey Diversity Alliance would not immediately include women in the game. And even if you mm, wanted to say it was point. only for good NHL point. players, yeah. women are NHL coaches. We yep. we have women on NHL staff, and the NHL has been able to find for all of their different coalitions women who are active on the NHL side even if you only want to keep it to nhl and i've always been critical on why the hockey diversity alliance could not figure that out so i just want to go on the record with that my comments regarding this new coalition for the nhl is again they have a laundry list of other coalitions that have been meeting for years and we still got to the point where the league thought even with all of that expertise that the answer to a very specific gripe that certain players had was to remove all of the affinity jerseys, which again, impact beyond the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. Um, there again, women are a part of those hockey is for everyone jerseys. Of course, Black History Month and Black Hockey History, which very few teams actually use that term, yeah. Black Hockey history or black lives matter but you know we'll save that maybe a for whole another... other you could do a yep. whole other podcast on that exactly Seriously, no yeah you, you're spot on julian <laughs> spot on you know so again i think there's just a lot to take in and i'm with julian i'm i this has kind of been the league crying diversity wolf dei wolf uh you know and i'm just i'm i'm not believing it i need to see more action and in good faith but we also know again going off of our conversation about women's hockey that the nhl is very into if they're going to do something they have to own it and here's my thing that makes sense i guess from a business perspective but that's not what this aspect is supposed to be this is about creating pathways for people who were arbitrarily mind you have been arbitrarily kept out of the sport at the at the ice level as players and coaches and at the executive level not to mention that are not comfortable at the fan level so there's a lot here and i'm just not i'm not getting it's not giving what i need it to give (laughs) no she's absolutely right on that and just I don't know. I, I think especially this last year, and I know that's where it's really being focused on on one particular aspect here. We saw a lot of NHL players kind of show their ass in terms of oh, yeah. how much they don't actually really care with regards to, you know, making these spots accessible. There are players that did, obviously, uh, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that front. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to conclude part one of the Believe in Hubble Champions podcast. Very special edition with. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.